Welcome, welcome to the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. This is the podcast where we dissect and analyze the epic, the cool, the unbelievably awesome power of storytelling and learn how to harness that power to supercharge our everyday lives. I'm Gorev. And I'm Kevin. Kev, um, is cunning a bad word? The way I learned it, it's been used as a negative descriptor yeah i had this fight um in my ucla college english class about this because i think definitionally wise i want to have cunning like i want to be i want to be swift and smart and uh strategic in my thinking like why is that bad why is that a bad skill to have but it is an interesting conversation about the english language where there are words with just negative connotation Right, and there are words that are the same, but one has negative colloquial connotation, and they've changed over time. And I think cunning is technically a bad word, like it's a it's a derogatory word. But I think if you look at its core, what it means, it's not stuff you don't want to have, right? Yeah, I mean, context definitely plays a huge part in uh, a lot of the the semantics, the way we understand words. Um, and of course that is storytelling as well because the story is associated with these words Um, the people you use these words to describe um, play a huge part of you know what people end up thinking about certain words okay so So, i'm googling this marion webster says cunning means dexterous or crafty in use of special resources such as a skill or knowledge or in attaining an end or another definition is characterized by willing or wiliness and trickery. See, I, this is what I'm saying. Another definition they have on Marion Webster is dexterous skill and subtlety, as in inventing, devising, or executing. That's just saying using your resources in a crafty and complex way uh, to attaining a goal. Like, that's good like i want to be cunning i want to use my special resources in a unique and proper ways to attain a goal it really all depends on the context and um since uh i have a linguistics degree uh, i should know that languages are never set in stone they are alive and they are changing they are a kind of a contract between the many people who use it so you know given certain contexts, the same word can have different meanings. That being said, uh, we could try generating enough momentum in the society today so that we can shift the word of cunning uh, in the future if you know we really want it to mean a certain way. So I'm just saying justice with the word cunning. Um, and that's how it starts. The, the, the cunning campaign, yeah, semantic the campaign. Word cunning. It is a great word. Um, and I think you're adding deceit to it. You're adding negative to it if you use it in a negative way, like anything. But, Kev, speaking of the ability to use the English language in expert ways, who are we speaking to today? Ooh, we are welcoming back a great friend of the show, Kirtana Ramiseti. If you remember last year, um, we had her on the show to talk about uh, the first novel she has ever published, Dhamma Shastri's Last Day, which is a great story about representation, about Indian culture, 
uh, the immigration experience, celebrity, legacy. And, and last we heard, that book is going to be uh, adapted into a TV show by HBO Max. So really excited for Kirtana. And this time, Kirtana is coming back to us uh, with a new book coming out on April 11th called Advika and the Hollywood Wives. So this is a story about uh, Advika, a 26-year-old aspiring screenwriter uh, in Los Angeles, um, by accident meeting a very famous uh, Hollywood producer, Julian Zelding, ending up marrying him very quickly, but over the course of time, finding out about Julian's true character throughout uh, the stories of uh, his ex-wives. And it is a great story about friendship, uh, about grief, about love. So let's get into it. Sorry, before you start, I'm looking at another definition of cunning. Um, and like, this one has so many different definitions. Like, th there's like five. And one of them is informal, is a uh, cunning means informally, charming, cute, or appealing. A cunning little baby. What the? Now it means cute? I'm sorry. I'm just saying. I'm All I'm saying is that... So, Kirtana, to start us off, can you tell us a little bit about yourself again? What is your story and uh, how has your story changed since we last talked uh, about a year ago? Yeah, that's such an interesting question. I have to think about, like, what is my story at this point? And <laughs> the first thing I could think of is that I can now say that I can call myself an author two times over, and that means a great deal to me. Um, it's one of those things when you've always dreamed of writing a book and then you get to do it and it happens, you're like, great. But then that's not the finish line. The whole goal is to keep writing books. So my story is that I wrote a book that came out in November 2021 called Dalva Shastri's Last Day. And now I have a new novel out, Advika and the Hollywood Wives, which will be out in April. And that is my story right now. That's the dream come true twice over and it can't be more excited and thrilled. Amazing. Yeah. Uh, and I know probably there's not much you can share. And I don't know how much progress it has, but so exciting to see since we last talked that HBO Max has picked up uh, Davishashi's last day. It's being developed into a series and we were, we were so excited. I remember when we talked last time uh, with all my casting ideas and I know so many people compared it to like Succession and White Lotus. So I think HBO Max is such an interesting home for it. But how did that feel? How did that call go? Is there anything you can tell us about the process or what to look forward to? That was amazing. And the funny thing is, I do remember last time I spoke to you guys and we were talking about this. And I, I already had, I already knew it was coming. I just couldn't announce it. So it was just kind of fun to talk about with you guys, but not able to actually share any details at that point. And to be honest, I can't share that much right now either. But what I will say is that it was never in my wildest dreams, I thought that would happen. And it's partly because, you know, as an author, you're just trying to publish a book. That's the end goal. So I never really dreamt about it getting option for TV or anything else. But also because it features my first novel, Dava features an Indian American woman in her 70s. That just didn't seem like something that TV would be interested in, let alone a multi-generational saga about Indian American family. So when there was interest and there was um excitement enough to option for television i was just over the moon and no matter what happens with the project i'm still very excited that somebody saw the potential in it it means it means a great deal 
And of course, congratulations on all the success you achieve with your first book. Uh, we're so happy uh, to, you know, be a part of it to witness and celebrate uh, that story, of course. Um, and I wonder, you know, for this time around, as a writer who is now publishing your second novel, how do you feel differently? And what kind of, you know, changes uh, storytelling skill wise have you developed or uh, been influenced now that, you know, it is the second time around? It's also a really good question because I actually really have to go back and think about my process um, as I was working on uh, the difference between the first and the second book. Uh, one of the things I realized is that with Dava, you know, I was primarily telling the story from her point of view, but I was also telling it from the perspective of other characters in the novel, meaning her her children primarily. And with the new book, with Aglika, I was only telling the novel from her perspective. So it's closed third person. And because of that, during the drafting process, I'd literally be writing and thinking, okay, I need somebody to help take Avika here. So I just drop in a character. <laughs> it's really as simple mm -hmm. as that. But what happens when you do that is that the rest of your supporting cast becomes very two-dimensional. And they're not very interesting because I'm literally inserting them into the story as I need them. And so I have to go back and really think about who are my characters besides my main character and make sure they have dimensionality. And that they seem that they have a life outside of the course of what's happening during the course of the novel. And that was a really good lesson for me is that as much as my novel is focused on my main character and her very specific plight, I could not ignore my other characters. And I had to make sure they were just as well-rounded as my main character. And the kind of the funny thing is I decided to lean into that a little bit. The fact that because of how I was writing Avrika initially, she came off very self-involved and only interested in her own issues. So I decided to have other characters call her out on that. And so mm. part of the arc of Optica's journey is learning not to be so self-involved and self-focused, but also opens her eyes to what else is happening in the world. So it actually became a really good lesson for me that I also passed on to my character. You know, what I love about that is how, the and I love how you develop characters, I think, going back to Dava was such a complex character. We talked about it a lot with like, there's times where you're like, oh my God. And there's times like, oh my God, right? <laughs> there, it was so hard to like, um, see that she was like this conquering hero. She was such a strong, amazing character, but there's moments like, oh, she cheated. Oh, she did this. Oh, and you're like, it was so complex. And I, I felt that with Avika as well. Um, and before we get too deep into kind of talking about the book, do you want to give us a little bit of a quick recap of the book, synopsis? kind of log line type thing? So my novel is about Avika. She is an aspiring screenwriter and she is still grieving the death of her twin sister. And she's working at an after party for the Oscars when she meets Julian Zelding, who is a Oscar winning film producer who happens to be 40 years her senior. They hit it off. They have a world of courtship and they get married. And not long after they get married, Julian's first wife dies and she leaves in Avika a bequeathment of $1 million in her will saying, I'll bequeath this to you if you divorce Julian. And so of course, Avnika freaks out. She realizes she doesn't know her new husband at all. And she decides to explore who he really is through the eyes and experiences of his famous ex-wives. One of the uh, very interesting about this book is it is a story based in the city of Los Angeles, which of course, Gaurav and I have both lived in for quite some time at this point. I will point. jump in real quick before you finish the sentence. There was yes. moments where like I'm sitting oh, in yeah. West Hollywood reading this book in a coffee shop. I'm like, oh, 
she's like I remember I was reading the first chapter. I was in West Hollywood at this random coffee shop and I was just sitting there and it's like, oh, we're talking about the Chinese theater and we're talking about the Dolby as like these monuments. And it was so interesting living here, reading it, reading these pages while being here mm-hmm. and thinking about the time Kevin and I went and saw some show at the Dolby and we're like, oh, this is above a shopping complex. This parallelism with Los yeah. Angeles of the glitz and glamour is so fascinating. And it was it was great to kind of be in it while reading your book. And not only the landmarks, but there's also like a lot of quirks of the fun parts of LA, the, you know, somewhat annoying parts. So yeah, just kind of want to hear from you. What was it like for you to integrate the city or Hollywood into your story? What led you to this choice? And how does that affect how you develop the story once you decided on the setting? You know, once I decided that Adlika was going to be a screenwriter, it made perfect sense for her to be based in Los Angeles, mm-hmm. especially when I decided that um, she would this would start at the Oscars and she would meet her future husband at the Oscars. I just thought, well, this is definitely an L.A. story. And that was fun for me because, as you guys know, I went to UCLA. Um, I also grew up in Orange County, so I'm very familiar with Southern California. And I like that there are so many distinctive parts of Los Angeles and I could use that to tell this story. And in some cases, I actually use my own memories. For example, when Alamica is telling Julian how much she likes that Hollywood and Highland exists, because there's a Hollywood now that people who come to visit, they can take them to. And that was mainly based on something from my childhood. Like we used to have people come and visit us um, in Southern California and they want to go see Hollywood. And at the time when I was growing up, there wasn't much to take them to. You would take him to the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Maybe show them the, the sign in the Hollywood Hills, but there's not something that said Hollywood. And so I thought uh, they could really would appreciate the fact now that there is something tangible and palpable that exists because so many people think of Hollywood as a dream to achieve, but it wasn't really a place you could visit before. Um, yeah. And now it kind of was. So it was really fun just incorporating some of my aspects of growing up in Southern California into Advika's story. Yeah, and um, I'm going to avoid bashing Hollywood. Uh, but, um, <laughs> we've been here a long time now. And um, there's there's this parallel of the city, you know, where it's everyone's like, oh, the glamorous walk of fame. I'm like, it's not glamorous. Oh, Santa Monica, it's not glamorous. <laughs> right? There's these ideas of Hollywood. About, like, I think there was this idea I was trying to get at, at how Hollywood often sets the tone in a lot of ways for media and representation because it's it's created in this little bubble that's seen as very glamorous, right? And that that elevates to the country. And I think this was something I was thinking a lot about, about this image of like the perfect person or the this like Hollywood image and branding that's reverberated. And I think that's another thing why representation is so important in Hollywood and stories like this, because when you take it to the screen, when you, because it's not just the people in your city, towns and states and worldwide we'll see this and i don't know if there's a question there but this is a thought <laughs> i had um, it was a really interesting thing for me to have los angeles be such a central role in this novel compared to dava which primarily took place on a private island that i made up it was a fictional setting <laughs> la is definitely not fictional and what was so interesting to me is that i feel like avika is such an insider and an outsider at the same time which is what I was hoping to capture in telling her story and specifically setting it in LA because 
she is a person who's grown up her whole life in the Los Angeles area. She also attended UCLA. So she's highly aware of all the different neighborhoods, how to navigate, and also aware of how class uh, is represented by where you live as well. So she's so well-versed in being a Los Angelino, but at the same time, she's also an outsider because as someone with Hollywood aspirations, she's always on the outside looking in, wishing she could be a part of something that has never been traditionally open to her. So I really feel like Los Angeles plays such a pivotal role in who she is. It kind of gives her a base in terms of her family and her friends. That has always been a comfort to her for a long time. And when that gets stripped away from her with the death of her twin sister, she is flailing and she is lost, which is why she clings to her Hollywood aspirations even more. This book incorporated some very interesting elements. Uh, I remember when I first opened it, one of the very first pages says that it's you know dedicated for friends uh, like mine and siblings like yours. So I wanted to get into that a little, little bit, this story of friendship, because as much as Avika, you know, has put herself into an isolated and all alone situation, there are times where she's not. And of course, all of the Okies are relationships that have really developed throughout the stories as well. Uh, and we see a lot of uh, not only support from the friends, but also the absence of support uh, at times, uh, which I thought was, you know, very interesting and educational just on that impact of the importance of uh, friendship and, and support. So can you tell us a little bit more about the friendships in the book? So when I came up with this premise of the screenwriter marrying the much older man, um, one of the things I said to myself is like, I wanted to write something that was not a family saga, first and foremost. Dava had been a family saga. My two books I worked on previously to Dava that were never published, those were family sagas. So I'm like, let me not write about families anymore and that family dynamic because I've done that. So I thought, well, let me write about family friends. That was the notion I wanted to write about this book. The idea that, especially if you're an immigrant, um, I, you know, so much of your relatives are back in the country of your origin. That was my case. I'm very close to my relatives in India, but most of them live in India. So when you're growing up, at least for me, I grew up without, with a lot of other Indian families and we kind of became each other's de facto cousins. We spent all our holidays together. We traveled together and just a very close friendship that was so important, special to me, especially after I moved to the East Coast and they all remained in the West Coast because I felt, since I know them since I was in elementary school, it was this friendship where I felt completely understood. We were all from similar backgrounds. We'd known each other for so long. And it was a very special kind of friendship and bonds. And I decided I wanted to write this book about, in a way, about that very special friendship and bond that comes from being around people who know you well. They feel like family. And they're the kind of people you could call at 2 a.m. and say, you know, I have a body in my trunk. Can you come help me? And they'll do that without question. That's the kind of friendship I wanted to depict in this novel. It's funny to me when um, sometimes I've heard this book called A Love Story. And it's not in the way you would think it is. It's not about a love story between Avrika and Julian. It's a love story about friendships and platonic bonds. And the same with Olive, the one of the things I wanted to do with a new friend like Olive is I think, especially as I get older, um, you don't know if you'll be able to continue to make the same kind of close friendships you did when you were in your, your 20s, you know, when you're in college or in your school together or for people you grew up with. But it's been really amazing to me, like the friendships I've made in my, you know, being older now and still making very meaningful friendships, 
and having those close bonds. And it could happen at any age and it can be important to you in your life as well. And that's what Olive represents me in this novel. So I just kind of wanted to pay tribute to friendships in this book, the friends that you've known forever and they're right or die, and the opportunity to make new, amazing and lovely friends as well and how they can play a significant role in your life too. You know, I love that. I love that. I love the power of friendship. I think this is something in Hollywood too that I love seeing a good friendship story. Um, whether it's uh, I, I always I'm always texting my friends like this is a great friendship and there's this this story is where I'm like this is an amazing friendship please don't make them fall in love right there are times when TV I'm like I love this friendship don't have them fall in love because it happens too much it's a trope and I despise it I love a good rom-cam I love a good romantic comedy but we don't we don't talk about friendships enough in media entertainment and we're seeing it more for sure i'm thinking like working moms which i'm obsessed with that's a show i mean working moms also great but there was a show that was the show working moms is a canadian television show great friendships amazing um and i'm thinking about great friendships in media and i think there's this thing that i think i i thought a lot about in college and as i developed more friendships as i grew up there's this idea of romance where that's your ride or die, that's your person, that's your everything. And you almost start ranking the other people like, oh, this is the only person I need. This is it. This is the world. But this book actually explores that in, in a way that's like, well, different people serve different purposes and different functions in your life. It's not about like, these are the most important person. This is my favorites in my iPhone. This is how I rank people. Like this is my emergency contact. Like, I think the thing is here that what I love about your book is it also, even if he was the Prince Charming, the perfect, the person in the beginning of the book, right? There are still ways that other people serve different functions. And I think it's a story thing where we tell ourselves, oh, the one, the person, yada, yada. And I think it's so important that we remind ourselves different people come into your life for different reasons and not let ourselves get stuck in that story of like, I need to find the one. I mean, for a very brief second, I thought of the idea of Avika having a relationship with one of the Okis. And then I quickly nixed it because I'm like, I don't want this to be about her meeting someone else. I want this to be about her reconnecting with herself and what's important to her, but also having a greater appreciation for her friends. And I think I didn't want to muddy the waters at all by having like some subplot romance. It was not that's not what this novel is about. So I appreciate what you said because that was top of mind to me too. This might seem to have a, be a lot about romantic comedies and how much my character loves them. And I love them too. But to me, this was always a friendship novel. Yeah. And as much as romantic relationship is at the front of the story, it is the friendship that's been the core. And as we were talking about the friendship and support, I uh, also thought of this kind of strange, but it also makes sense, sisterhood. <laughs> that kind of develops between Avika and the Hollywood wives, which is, you know, the other half of the title. Can you walk us through those characters as well? Because each of them has such an interesting story. Julian's three ex-wives are each famous in their own ways. Uh, mm-hmm. The first wife is Evie Lockhart, and uh, she is an actress that Julian and she met when they were both at the beginning of their careers. He became a very famous producer and her career, as his career went up, her career went down. And so she had only a short filmography before she retired from acting. 
Um, Julian's second wife is Nova Martin. She is a pop star in the, and the, I should say, because Julian is a much older person than Avika, so I should say Evie's career largely happened in the 70s and early 80s before she retired from acting. Nova Martin was a pop star in the MTV era 80s. And so she's a person who who wanted to be Joni Mitchell, but because of the time she was in and the husband she was married to, who wanted her to be more commercial, she ended up having a trajectory closer to Madonna, which is something she did not want or aspire to. And then the third wife, her name is Victoria Trung, and she is uh, aspiring. Um, she wants, you know what? I think she was like a person who would flourished on Instagram. It was a little ahead of her time. She just wants to be a personality. She wants to be on TV. She wants to be famous. And so she entices Julian, her third husband, to be on a Real Housewives ripoff show called Luxury Wives. And then she pursues a reality TV career from there. So they're very distinctive women, each in their own ways. And they each have a connection to Julian that Advika uncovers as she researches each of their lives through, you know, the media, like the interviews they do, the movies they're in, the TV shows they're on. And she learns a lot about, I think, what women go through in the entertainment industry and how much so much of their stories are shaped and molded or even erased by the people who have power. And it's not something Avdika ever realized until she was kind of caught up in the same whirlpool of control that her predecessors were. You know, I mean, uh, I think this was the rambling point I was trying to get to earlier too, where that Hollywood is such a bubble of like a very small group of people. Um, and they set the tone for the stories that people see as the world, right? And it's the thing about that's why representation in Hollywood is so important because if we don't have representation in the writer's room or on our screen, they're not seen as the people of the world, right? We see that the perfect person is this box, right? And I think that was so important the way you talked about how the people in power shaped these young women's stories in the press, whether it's through suppressing copies of uh, Nova's music, whether it's through suppressing articles or suppressing stories in the media or telling, or the loudest voice becoming the most true version of the story, right? I think that was so interesting about how she had to fight to learn about these women because a long time she was told not to and a long time they were shut out. Their stories were cut short because this powerful man, it didn't fit into his narrative, right? So I think it's the importance of authenticity and storytelling the um, importance of us trying to make sure there's more representation so few people don't control the narrative for many. And I, I think that was such an interesting talk about Hollywood as a whole because this one man shut off the voices of these really interesting and diverse women. And also, I think it was interesting how uh, each in the four wives, they were all women of different races and different careers. Why was it so important that each a wife was so diverse in that way to you? It was important to me because I feel like if this set a novel in Los Angeles, it's going to be diverse. You had all people from all diverse backgrounds who grew up in the Los Angeles area, and it didn't make sense to me to not have that kind of representation. And I also figured as the author of this novel, why shouldn't I have that representation? I think it's on me to make sure it's an organic part of the story and it makes sense within the story. But I love that, you know, um, for example, Victoria is a Vietnamese, and the fact that she's a Vietnamese-American plays an important part of her story and who she is. 
and also her marriage to Julian and what happens after that. It was just a lot of, but the other thing is in terms of their careers, I'm a pop culture person. And honestly, this novel was inspired by watching Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. So it made sense to me when I thought about the idea of like giving this famous film producer famous ex-wives. One of them had to be reality star because I love the Real Housewives. But I, you know, I, lo- I want to explore the idea of what it meant to be a musician in the 80s when you're fighting against the grain of expectations. And with Evie, I thought it would really be interesting because we've seen it so many times, especially in the post-Me Too movement. Actresses would be, you would see an actress in so many movies. They would be everywhere and they'd just be gone and disappear. And we didn't have an understanding why they were gone and what happened to them. And sometimes we're told stories about, oh, they were difficult on set, as an example, or no one liked to work with them. And then the real story comes out. And again, it's the stories that were told versus what actually happened. And usually sometimes it had tragic dimensions of what really happened to them in their career. So for me, the opportunity to give them different careers let me explore different aspects of what it'd be like to work in that career and also I'm a pop culture fan so it's just fun diving into the different elements of all those different uh careers too yeah and you know there's such there's such big and important characters and it was so amazing to see how she viewed her story through their story and how because of the different moods she was in she had different perspectives on their story and I think this is so important about uh, us as humans as well in storytelling and hearing other people's stories that one day it can be very dismissive. One day you can be really annoyed with something and the other day say, oh, you see it with a different perspective. So I think empathy is huge here because taking time to understand them as best as she could was so important to her life, right? And, you know, I think there's so many different characters in this book. There's so many big stories with the wives and you had to build up kind of the Julian and Enrique uh, love story and then integrate the wives and then all to the climactic ending and things like that. How do you go about pacing this book or pacing these stories? Where How do you know when to bring in which wife, when to go a little bit deeper, when to end? Like, what was that process like for you? So this novel, I mean, like the first novel, which I worked on for several years and before I submitted it to agents and then editors. The second novel, I sold um, sample chapters and a synopsis. So it was different in the sense that I had an idea of how the novel would begin through those first chapters. And I also had an overarching idea of the entire plot from beginning to end. So what you wrote, what you read in the novel is how I always imagine that this novel would transpire everything that happens it's from that synopsis I wrote from day one, nothing had changed, but I still had to write a whole novel. <laughs> and I had to figure out what happens when and how these, each of these wives are introduced into the story as Advika is learning more and more about who she really married. And so for me, what I found really works for me as a writer is having an outline. The one difference for me in terms of book one and book two is with book one, I wrote the entire outline in advance before I even started writing the novel. With book two, because I had a deadline now, which changes everything about my my writing process, because now I I can look at a calendar and say, okay, this first draft is due in X amount of months. And there's a lot of pressure on you suddenly to generate pages. So what I found worked for me, for this book anyway, is that I did kind of um, a version of book one, which is I wrote a couple of chapters in the outline, then I drafted it, then I wrote the outline of a couple of chapters of that outline and then drafted it. So it went back and forth between outline and novel, and then talked about an entire draft. And what really helped me after the fact is um, I read somewhere that you should... It's helpful to you during the revision process. And all novels are honestly born in the revision process. 
drafting is just getting words on the page so you have something to work with, but revisions are where the novel is born. So I, I read something where they recommend after you finish your manuscripts, you go back and you summarize every chapter in your novel. And for me, I chose to do that scene by scene. So chapter one, scene one, scene two, chapter two, scene one, scene two, et cetera. And by having that blueprint, it was so helpful because of course the novel changes a little bit from outline to final drafts. So I can always go back in terms of what you're asking about pacing. I can see, okay, maybe this information comes too early and maybe that revelation should come later. And I was able to move things around like a puzzle pieces to see when exactly certain things should fall into place. And that was immensely helpful. That's such an interesting insight for us as people who don't know uh, a lot about the writing process to, you know, see behind the curtain. So thank you for walking us through that. And I think one other element uh, that we're seeing in this book is the integration of film and TV. Uh, obviously, this is an LA-based story. Uh, makes a lot of sense to integrate that in in your first book, you did also uh, have uh, the element of music as a very essential part of Dava's story. I wonder for you as a storyteller, why do these, how do you see these elements enhance the story you're trying to tell? Just like with music in Dava, um, the movie and TV stuff, it's, all, it's an indulgent choice, I have to say. It's indulgent to me. So uh, I had another edict for myself when I wrote this novel. I couldn't write about music again in the same way I did it in Dava. It was really very easy for me to because I love music so much. But I'm like, let me not do music this time. But a long time ago, I wrote a short story. And it was a short story I loved. It told the history of a band solely through what was written about them. So interviews, television appearances, uh, page six gossip items. It was the entire history of a band through everything that was ever said about them. And I had a lot of fun writing it. And that short story um, never got anywhere. I got rejected all over the place, but I love that short story. So I decided to take what was so fun about writing that short story and integrate it into this novel. So for me, I loved writing, you know, behind this, behind the music, like watching it on YouTube. Sometimes, you know, these episodes are broken up into clips. So you can't watch the whole thing or writing, you know, a biography of a character or watching what's like to like watch a TV, binge watch an entire season of television with another person and you got, you're cracking jokes with your friend as you're watching it. So for me, it's just a fun way to tell a story because pop culture, TV and movies are such a, you know, for most of us, it's a, big, it's a fun aspect of our lives, but I also think it communicates a lot about who we are. For example, if a friend recommends a Spotify playlist to you or it says, hey, you should go check out that movie, that tells you a lot about who they are, what what's of interest to them, but also what they think about you and what they think, hey, I think my friend might like this too. And it says a lot about their relationship to you as well in terms of, here's a thing I liked and here's a thing I think you will like too. It's a, a way we communicate a lot in the world and make connections in the world. And so I think it's an important thing to share. And for Adrika, she comes to really bond with her uh, predecessors, the ex-wives, by learning what makes them tick and what they were passionate about and makes her really think about what she's passionate about too, in terms of her craft, which is screenwriting. It took me a couple of chapters to realize that the chapter titles were uh, romantic <laughs> comedies or romance movies, uh, which was embarrassing. But as soon as I started, I'm like, 
Oh, 10 points ahead of you. I see it. <laughs> but I loved I loved that you did this again. And we talked about this in our first episode of you about interweaving music to invoke emotion for the people who knew the music. But at the same time, you could still understand it if you didn't. I think the same thing with the movies here where there's actually little Easter eggs. If, like, if you knew the movie, if you knew the references a little bit deeper, but it still works. I love that. mindfully for precious time we have a closeout segment called suspenders uh it works like this we ask you a fun random question that's unrelated to anything and you can give us any answer you feel like question of the day is if you could have any fictional creature as a pet what would it be and why (laughs) i don't know how it would work out but the first thing that comes to mind is an Ewok, maybe, because it's fuzzy and cute. But it's be kind of like having a, like a pet dog in a way, but they can actually interact with it more and communicate with it more. This is just the first thing that comes to mind. I'm sure there are better answers to this question, but I feel like they seem fun to hang out with. They were a vital part of Return of the Jedi, so look at with Ewok. Amazing. I think Love the that. first thing that came to mind was the, uh, the griffin from Sandman. I don't know why. <laughs> But that's what I was thinking. A griffin or gargoyle? No, it was a griffin, I think. I don't know. But anyways, again, thank you so much for joining us. It's always amazing to talk to you, hear more about your stories. We're huge fans, and we're so excited for this book to come out on April 11th, 2023. Avika and the Hollywood Wives. We're so excited. Thanks for having me. This has been a really great conversation. Welcome back to Top Hat. This is the part of the episode where we dissect and analyze some of the cool learnings we got from this week's expert storyteller. And this week, we welcome back the amazing Kirfina Ramasetti back to the show to talk about her new book, Advika and the Hollywood Wives. Yeah, Gaurav, in this book, for you and I, are very interesting to read because uh, it is based in the city of Los Angeles and we both lived here for a bunch of years so we can the city of angels yes definitely see you know the not only the, the glamorous parts uh, depicted but also some of the you know very strange but very true quirks of that city and yeah it's a really interesting city for sure I think every city is so unique in their style and their pace and their energy in their goals and it really shapes how you experience it and what you do in that city absolutely and you know with la it's obviously a very diverse city uh, and of course hollywood uh, entertainment and the show business is a very central part to the, the identity of la that's what abika's story is about as well she's an aspiring um, screenwriter. She met her soon-to-be husband at an Oscars after-party. She is an outsider of show business trying to get in. So the choice of the city really makes um, the story, you know, lively and believable. Yeah, and you talk about identity there, which is really key. Your identity, because cities do have identities, and your identity is affected deeply by that city like when you're in tech and working in san francisco there's this kind of energy of it that other people around you are in tech and kind of the superstars in that city the gods of the city of san francisco are the tech billionaires right 
it's similar to Hollywood where like you go in a coffee shop, you see a lot of script writers or struggling actors and the gods of the city as the kind of the Hollywood elite. And this is seen in so many different cities and so many different goals. And when you move to a city, like I'm moving to the big city to explore my dreams because that's where the opportunities are. That's where the, the VCs are for tech. That's where the studios are. And even in this post-pandemic world where you can now work virtually or work from home and you're spending more time at home and you don't actually have to move to a city for a certain job, these cities still have identities, still have these resonances that greatly affect your goals and greatly affect the ambitions and the opportunities you have. So I think it's such an important concept for her book where she explores the city of Los Angeles and how uh, the main character living there, Advika, how living in Los Angeles, the images she sees, the people she talks to, the environment she's in, affects the decisions she makes in her career, not just in her passion for screenwriting, but the decisions she makes in her life. It's really important and it's a really interesting idea of the stories your city tells, right? The stories the people around you in a city tell, the different stories that are being told when you travel. So I think this is a really good exercise for everyone. Ask yourselves what stories your city tells. What are the people they are fighting for? What's the general kind of vibe storytelling of your city? And then when you travel to other cities, ask yourself the same question and see the differences. See who moves where to explore which stories. And it can greatly help you kind of define what you value in your life, why you value in it, and if you're in the right place. Another, I think, very interesting topic is this story or this, you know, very overarching uh, storyline of friendship, how friendship is represented in um, Hollywood or in film and TV in general. Yeah, and you know, I think I'm always, I love a good friendship story. There's so many romantic uh, romance stories and there are some amazing friendship stories too. You know, Chewie and Han, Nick and Schmidt, um, Joey and Phoebe. There are some really, truly great friendship stories. But you know, I think one of the worst things people can do with friendships, writers can do is when they make them fall in love. There's so many great friendships, right? They're amazing, they're amazing, they're amazing. I know that they're uh, two people of the opposite sex. I know they're both heterosexual, but please, please, please don't make them fall in love. Please. I mean, it perpetuates that story that you can't have female friends, right? Which I think is total BS, by the way. But, um, and so, and some of them are so frustrating. Like, I think a very clear one yeah. is Joey and Rachel. I'm like, why Why are we doing this? Just because they're both straight and they're in the vicinity of each other? No, don't do this to us. Like, come on. Um, and I think it's this idea, this concept that the, another concept that I hate, that I rally against is that like, you complete me story or that like the epitome of relationships or like the top most, the only thing that matters is finding love. And I think, no, I think this book, what it does really well that some stories don't is the reminder that different people serve different roles in your life. Yeah, it will be a lot of unrealistic acceptation to put on one single person too mm-hmm. and for, for that the one narrative. And friendship is its own thing. It, it's not the intermediate romantic relationship. Romantic relationship is not the next level of friendship. We can have both friendship and romantic relationships. 
This has been another episode of the Linen Suit and Plastic Tie Podcast. If you like our content, make sure to subscribe and follow us wherever you listen. Leave us comment and review to let us know what you're thinking. Follow us on Instagram and TikTok at LSPTPod. And we will see you next time. Have a good one.